You are listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast, a show covering the hometown Milwaukee Brewers as we analyze the roster, report on the latest rumors, and discuss their quest to bring the World Series trophy to Milwaukee for the first time. Here are your hosts, Peter and David Go. Welcome to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. I'm your host, Peter Go here for another episode today. I feel like a lot going on uh, in baseball news compared to what we're used to. So I'm excited to break that down. Rule changes, which we've been talking about for, well, we've been talking about for years. MLB fans have been talking about for decades, finally coming to fruition. So some rule changes that we get to break down today. And then also take a look at the Brewers' top prospects, the likes of Bryce Turing, Sal Freelick, Garrett Mitchell, uh, hopefully some future names that uh, turn to be, you know, future regular players for the Brewers. So we'll be breaking down that list of Brewers' top prospects, two of those players being in the list of top 100 MLB prospects. David, excited to be here today. Any initial thoughts here before we jump in? Well, it is exciting to have a little bit of news, at least, that we can discuss. And, yeah, we're going to break down Keith Law's top prospect list. I'm excited to do that. Talk about maybe who might be some of the contributors in 2022 among uh, the younger guys. We saw a little bit of that in 2021, and hopefully we'll carry over into the upcoming year with some of the young talent they have. Uh, but wanted to get right into the trivia question, get going. Uh, today's trivia question has a little bit to do with the prospects. We're gonna look at the homegrown position players that the Brewers have on the roster. So the question is, among homegrown position players, who led the Brewers in wins above replacement in 2021? So we are going to exclude Lorenzo Kane from this exercise. Uh, since Kane spent much of his time developing at the major league level in Kansas City. So players that would be considered homegrown are just players that were either uh, drafted as an amateur or signed as an amateur straight to the Brewers organization. So does not count Luis Rios, who was traded as a young player, or of course, someone like Colton Wong or Christian Yelich. I'm excited for this one. I've got a good feeling about this one. Uh, so as always, of course, trivia answer at the end of the podcast, but I'm um, putting some money on, on myself on, on this one should be a good one. Uh, and David, you've got a random player of the day um, in light of recent news as well. Who's today's random player of the day? Yeah, a little bit more of some somber news with the passing of this former Brewers outfielder, Gerald Williams. He had a pretty good big league career, 14 years, hit 255 across those 14 years. In addition to that, hit 85 home runs. 183 doubles, uh, more of a gap-to-gap -gap hitter, and spent many of those years in uh, New York with the Yankees and a few years with Atlanta in the late 90s, a couple trips to the World Series there. But he did spend um, parts of two years with the Brewers. In those two years, 700 plate appearances, hit 246, just a 277 on-base percentage, and did hit 36 doubles. So a pretty good extra base hitter, even if Maybe the, the on-base percentage was a little bit low. And somebody who passed away, unfortunately, at the age of 55 last week. So our thoughts and prayers certainly with the family of Gerald Williams in light of his passing and wanted to touch on a former brewer uh, from the 90s in Williams. Yeah, certainly had a pretty quietly uh, or under-the-radar career. Like you said, that gap-to-gap -gap hitter. You look at his pictures of his playing years. He's got the Jose Bautista um, bat, no, not bat flip, uh, it just rolls right off the tongue. Jose Bautista leg kick, uh, what I was trying to say, um, up until up to the hip, 
Um, I think back to an old baseball card that I remember I had growing up. Who knows? Maybe I still have it probably buried somewhere. I don't know if you remember that 1997 Pacific card. Um, it's not that this would help you, but number 131, um, uh, this card of Gerald Williams with the big old leg kick and that gold, big, like, bold gold writing down the left side of the card, Gerald Williams. That was just the the style of that 1997 Pacific. Um, but kind of a, I guess, I, in my mind, a little bit iconic um, look to a baseball card just because I've never seen, you know, anything like it. But it was very late 90s-esque. And that's, that's certainly what I think of when I think of Gerald Williams. So like we said, several rule changes being announced by everyone's favorite Rob Manfred in a recent press conference. First one and biggest one that we've got to talk about, the DH rule. It is here. DHs will be in play in the National League, which is a big deal for the Brewers uh, and the other uh, National League teams alike. Like I said, this has been debated for decades. Uh, I, I've asked you to share this story on the podcast before, but I'm going to ask you to share it again just briefly because I, I just think it's a, a funny and cool baseball story. Uh, remind us of that story of how the Universal DH almost came to play decades ago, and then we'll we'll break that news down. Yeah, the American League, they passed the rule for the designated hitter following the 72 season. And in the mid-80s, the National League was struggling a little bit, lagging in attendance. They decided that they wanted to implement the DH, or at least some of them did. So they were going to have an owner's meeting at the time. Ten teams were part of the National League, I believe. And they decided to meet together. They said, we're going to take a vote. And it needed seven votes or maybe it was eight eight votes to pass the legislation for it so there were a couple owners you know of course the fraternity all the owners are friends and they know each other and two of them they didn't feel like flying to the meeting just to take the vote so they gave permission for one of their owner friends to vote on their behalf and both of them said you know where we stand we are pro dh we want the dh implemented into the national league so he said all right I've got your word. I'll vote on your behalf. Got there. And he realized he had the power to not pass the DH legislation. He goes in and he votes all three votes against the DH. And that basically ruins the vote and kept the pitcher hitting in the National League for years and years. That was almost 40 years ago. And now here we are in 2022, finally about to embark on the new era of the designated hitter in the National League about 37 years later. Yeah, pretty crazy. Like you said, a 37-year difference in what we've seen in Major League Baseball um, and just what we've seen across strategy, lineup constructions, managerial decisions, all those things that having a monumental impact on the game in, in what seemed like a very minor um, thing that may have happened at the time. Because, I, I mean, even think back 37 years ago, even at the time, I would imagine as a fan at least or even as an owner, you probably think, okay, it didn't, okay, you know, it still didn't pass this year, but surely next year it's going to pass or the year after within five, 10 years, it's going to pass. But to think that 37 years later, it took all the way until in the 2020s before that was passed um, certainly is surprising. And I, we'll, we'll certainly talk through some potential targets that the Brewers may be looking at um, to fill that designated hitter position as it stands here. Very briefly, David, who do you see most fitting into that DH role? I, I think it'll be a mixture of players, but who are some of the names that come to mind for you? Well, I think if we consult with the national television broadcasters, they might propose Brandon Woodruff be the Brewers DH full-time uh, with the frequency that they bring up his home run against Clayton Kershaw in the playoffs. Uh, but the one that stands out at the top of the list, not surprising, Nelson Cruz. He's someone who 
is into his early 40s, but he's had success at every level uh, that he's every every stop he's had in the major leagues. And he just has continued to hit even at this older age uh, into the into his 40s. And he would be a good fit in the Brewers lineup. Doesn't strike out a whole lot. Good power. Somebody who's going to put the ball in play still a good amount in addition to the power that he has. He's someone that I would like to see the Brewers bring, uh, maybe bring back since he debuted with the Brewers 17 years ago. There's some other names that you could consider. Nick Castellanos, if the Brewers uh, see him in the budget. Maybe Kyle Schwarber, someone that, that could be there. He would certainly fit nice as far as the, the left-handed power bat in the advantageous uh, confines of American Family Field. Yeah, I don't see a clear favorite Currently, if you look at the Brewers roster, of course, the Brewers weren't necessarily constructed with the intention of having a DH. But with that, you know, hole over at first base or maybe not hole, but uh, looks like we're still looking for that other side of the platoon, likely with Rowdy Tellez. Um, There's a bit of a hole there and you don't necessarily have the big, big bat, you know, Luis Rias at third base. He doesn't necessarily fit the mold of a true DH. And certainly he showed his defensive prowess the last year as well. Um, and then you look at the outfield. Uh, with, you know, the, the the trade to bring in Renfro. Sure, you know, he might get some at-bats at DH. Yelich might get some at-bats there as well. But uh, there's certainly not a clear favorite as far as who's going to be DHing for the Brewers. And I certainly hope they will make an acquisition. But if they don't, I think it will, will just kind of be, uh, um, you know, passed throughout the roster. The other option is to bring in a lower-cost option, someone like Carlos Santana, someone of that caliber. And then he could play some first base, Maybe Rowdy will play about two-thirds of the games over at first. Could factor in with uh, Keston Hira, somebody that doesn't have great expectations for the upcoming year. Read an article from Will Salmon of The Athletic recently where he was talking about how he and his hitting coach are reworking his leg swing, uh, try leg kick on his swing, trying to tone it down a little bit. And he's been working on trying to get back to that line drive stroke that he had a few years ago, not the huge uppercut that we've seen out of Hira in the last couple of years. And if he is able to get back to that, he's a real force with the bat and somebody who you want to be giving 550 to 600 plate appearances, probably at the DH spot and not on the field. Yeah, he certainly fits that position. Think about when we drafted him, he was essentially positionless. Um, I remember that debate over, we're, we're drafting a guy who doesn't have a position, but at the end of the day, if he's going to hit, uh, he's going to play. And certainly now with the DH, that, that is even easier. So I agree. If we get any remnants of Keston Hira, um, from what was was that 2019? Yeah, 2019. Uh, if we get any remnants of 2019 Keston Hira, uh, we will certainly be seeing him uh, just about every day in in that DH spot. Um, so that's a great name to bring up. Uh, and the other the other um, news coming in addition to the DH addition is also the change in draft lottery. So obviously, Major League Baseball for years worst record. You get the first pick, pretty standard. Uh, but they're going to be, you know, de full details aren't disclosed at the time, but they will be moving towards something similar to what we've seen in the NBA with a draft lottery um, to try to de-incentivize tanking um, among the game. Any thoughts on that um, change that, again, we'll see full, full details on that when the agreement is disclosed. But we do know, according to Rob Manfred, that a draft lottery will be uh, implemented by Major League Baseball. I think it's a step in the right direction. I don't think that it's as big enough of a step that I would like. I think a few episodes ago, I proposed that they go in reverse order of the non-playoff teams. 
So the team that actually has the best record that didn't make the playoffs gets the number one overall pick. And the playoff teams would be at the end. That would incentivize winning. So it's not the bottom feeders that get the number one or number three overall pick. They're just in the middle towards the uh, the back end of the first round more so. And you get a little bit more of a of a, a fair a fair draft order for the amount of that the amount that you put into uh, your efforts to competing. The other proposal that I would look at would be not having it based off of record at all. We just assume that the draft order has to be based off of the record. This is what the NFL did when they started the draft a little bit before MLB did. MLB followed suit. But what if you just had draft order set for every year? So it rotates. So let's say this year it's Brewers first, and then second is the Giants, and then third is the Indians, Guardians, whatever. Um, and you and you have that set already in advance, and you just have it evenly spread out so every team has uh, the same picks at different times throughout the years. Uh, that's something that nobody really talks about, but I think that could be a good thing because then there's no incentive whatsoever to have your, your record affect your draft order and where you pick in the draft. And you, you, you want to be competitive either way because that's not going to provide any, any incentive for you to lose. So that's, a, that's an idea that I think should be at least taken into consideration. I don't think that that's something that would be proposed or implemented now, but it's something that maybe five, 10 years down the road, if you keep taking these steps towards getting away from just the, the bad record, but worst record to good uh, or best record, that maybe you keep gradually stepping away from that until we get to a point where it is just not based off record at all. I think that's really interesting. I've never, never heard that even brought up or considered, but that is an interesting point. It's just the way we've always done it in sports. And so that's just the way you assume it certainly would. Like you said, I think we'd see a lot more teams, you know, mid seventies, as far as wins in a season, um, because there's, like you said, no incentive to, you know, bottom out and win 60 games in a year. Um, so that's, I don't know, that's an interesting thought. I think it is worth consideration. Final, final news here before we jump into the top prospects for the Brewers across Major League Baseball. They did also announce that they will be removing draft pick compensation for free agents. So if you think back to, was this in place with uh, with Prince Fielder when the Brewers lost Fielder or Sabathia? I believe it was, correct? It was, but the way that it was in place was that they had, they had a, it was like a ranking that a magazine did of the best players. And that was, to, that, that uh, gave you how many, like decided what picks you'd have. So the Brewers got, the picks that they used on, I think it was Clint Coulter and Mitch Hanniger in 2012. Those are both from Fielder. Uh, and they've changed it now, so it's based off the qualifying offer. But it is we've had this for probably 15 years now, maybe 20 years even. So it is, it is a change. I think it's good in that I don't think teams should be de-incentivized from signing good players because they have to lose a draft pick. I wouldn't mind seeing teams still get some sort of compensation for losing free agents, especially smaller market teams. Um, but I don't, I don't think it's a good thing that teams lose draft picks to sign players. Yeah, I think there could have been a better way to go about it because we saw a couple times. I wasn't. Didn't Jed Lowry like decline a qualifying offer Stephen for Drew. like eighteen million? Who was it? Stephen Drew. Stephen Drew, yeah. Stephen Drew defended like a $17 million player option. That's his fault, though. Uh, 
Yeah, right. I don't know what he was thinking, but he did. So it's like, who is going to sign Stephen Drew for a dollar and give up draft picks in the compensation rounds? Like, that doesn't make any sense. So it was a little bit backward at times. But I agree, as a small market fan, obviously, team of a small market fan, I should say, I am a little disappointed to see that completely wiped out because it's going to hurt the smaller market teams more than it does, you know, the Yankees, Dodgers, Red Sox, et cetera. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Like I said, those are pretty pretty substantial news in what has been a very dry offseason, of course. Um, So, we will continue to uh, provide any more updates as well as talk about um, DH targets for the Brewers whether in-house, on the roster already, like you said, Keston Hira uh, being one, for example, or guys like Nelly Cruz, Nick Castellanos, or a lesser player like Carlos Santana. We will we'll certainly take a look at that uh, as the offseason progresses. But like we said, talking about prospects today, Keith Law releasing his top 100 prospects. He's basically known as the prospect guy, the prospect guru, you could call him. Mm-hmm. He's got two brewers in the top 100. Bryce Turang cracking the list at number 85 and Sal Freelich at number 88. He did also mention Garrett Mitchell under his, quote, just missed category as well. So basically just outside the top 100, Brewers former first-rounder Garrett Mitchell. Uh, but let's just go in order here for the Brewers. Number one player in the farm system, according to Keith Law, Bryce Turang. Again, Turang, shortstop, Brewers number one prospect, first-round pick in 2018. What are your thoughts on Bryce Turang? What future do you see for him? He's someone that I see as being a average to maybe above average regular starting shortstop. Some scouts actually, according to law, have said that he could be better in center than he could be at short, but the Brewers are sticking with him at short for now. Got up to AAA last year. We could see some Bryce Turing this year, uh, possibly if uh, there's an injury or if he really just plays his way onto the roster, maybe more as a super utility role as he uh, cracks into the big leagues. He's someone that that has uh, okay power, maybe a little bit below average, not someone that's going to hit a lot of home runs. Uh, Law says maybe about 15 home runs. I've heard that maybe he's a grade 35 or 40 power. Got better contact skills though, above average contact tool. And uh, he's someone who who can run a little bit, good defender and will take his walks. So a, a solid player overall, at least should be someone that we could see a little bit this year, maybe later in the year in the second half. Yeah, like you said, cracking AAA last year, and he's only 22 and will be playing, a, you know, entering what could be a full year in AAA for him. Should be a trying year, but hopefully a good year for him and continue to progress. Like you said, decent power. Keith Law mentioned 15 to 18 homer upside potentially when he, you know, comes into his own and that above average contact and, and decent on base skills. Like you said, good athlete, good defender at short, um, a pretty, you know, valuable prospect. As a, as a shortstop at 22 already in AAA. Um, certainly we'll see if we do see a debut from Turing. That would be pretty exciting to see um, this year. Do you see you do you see him cracking the, the the Brewers roster this year, or is it more likely that we see a full year at AAA, another year of development, especially if we see, you know, moderate success out of Urias, Wong, and Willie Adames? I think it's likely that we see Turing at some point this year, provided that he is able to stay healthy throughout the year. I, I don't I don't see him necessarily taking over a, a starting role unless they have a, a significant injury to one of those infielders, but he's someone that I would expect will play his way onto uh, the Brewers' radar as far as their, their major league roster goes, but definitely not someone who's going to break camp with the team, maybe someone who's more of a second-half call-up. 
yeah, certainly will be exciting to see Brewers top prospect Bryce Turing make his major league debut. Brewers number two prospect and outfielder Sal Freilich, the former first round pick at number 15 in 2021, uh, started started the year as a potential target as a top 10 overall pick uh, with some of the power he had early on in his college season over at Boston College. Uh, power fizzled out a little bit, uh, five foot nine outfielder with, with some steady power and good bats. What are your thoughts on Sal Freelich, the Brewers' number two prospect? Yeah, I watched him play actually for a game in in uh, Appleton. He, he finished the year with the Timber Rattlers, advanced A ball, and he looked a little bit overmatched at the plate, not quite to that level yet, but he dominated it at the single A level in Carolina. So I expect him to start there in high A again. He looked like a really good athlete, got a pretty good arm, good defender in center. He can really run and someone that I think will hit enough to be a kind of like two ring and average to above average regular and hopefully stick in center field. He's someone that I could see that happening with his, uh, his pretty good defensive skills out in center. Yeah. Keith Law said about, uh, about Freilich, his swing is compact and quick. He's a plus runner and he plays defense in center with some experience at second base. Uh, certainly, you know, some pretty, um, high regards from law. He also said that Jarrett Mitchell, who we're about to you know break down shortly here, Mitchell might have more upside than Freilich, but he has more risk, making Freilich the Brewers more likely center fielder and leadoff man of the future. Love to see that classic center fielder, leadoff guy, high contact, high on base, Scott Pesednik esque type of player. Uh, we'll see if if uh, if Sal Freilich can attain the Scott Pesednik. I, honestly, Pesednik had actually had a decent career. He did, unlike that would most be of the guys that we. Yeah, that'd well, be good. No, you, usually what it is is would make a good fourth outfielder. That seems like what all the Brewers, the Brewers prospects are in the, in their organization are always that he'd make a good fourth outfielder, which it's it's hard to have a good fourth outfielder or uh, organization like you got like eight projected projected fourth outfielders. It doesn't really quite work <laughs> that way when you've got nobody that's good enough to start. Exactly. Exactly. You, and you well, and there's only you know they seem to forget there's also only three outfield positions. But true. regardless, well, well, Brewers number three prospect. Uh, we'll stop my terrible jokes. Brewers number three prospect, another outfielder drafted in the first round in 2020 out of UCLA, Garrett Mitchell. Yeah, Mitchell. You mentioned that that law said he had, it might have more upside than Freilich. He is an excellent athlete. He can really run and probably could stick in center as well. And the question really is just going to be if the bat comes around. He had a good uh, good year at or good career at UCLA and really showed some power later in his career. He's got good raw power, but getting into that power in the game is a different story. He hasn't been able to really do that over the course of his, his young professional career. And he didn't even really hit for contact once he got to double A uh, against a, a little bit more advanced pitching. So if he's able to figure out the pitching at the higher levels of the minors, then he's someone that that could be maybe even an all-star level. But I don't know that I would necessarily bank on that. I don't know if I'd say that that's likely. He has a lower floor and a higher ceiling, meaning that there's a better chance that more things go wrong and he doesn't even maybe have much of a role, much of an impact at the major league level. But there's a better chance that he's he's to the, uh, the level of all-star if he's able to consistently hit for contact and maybe tap into even a little bit of the raw power that he has. Yeah, certainly he's got the skills, a 70 runner, 70 defender in center, and a 2021 uh, in double A, batted only 186. Um, that in 35 games for Biloxi, 
Um, and he's got a bit of a more unconventional swing, like you said. Uh, um, certainly has some things that he's got to put together. There's even, I guess, some questions around his durability and ability to stay healthy. Brewers number four prospect, Keith Law, actually mentioned he could see the argument actually for um, putting him ahead of Mitchell. Tyler Black, second baseman, third baseman, 21 years old, drafted number 33 in 2021. Came off a great spring with Wright State um, playing second and third, a little bit of shortstop. Hit 383 with good power. Uh, twitchy with a good bat speed and solid plate discipline. Nothing like some good baseball descriptives. Uh, but Law likes his chances to become a 55 regular uh, with his hit and on-base uh, and running tools. Uh, a guy that I, I really like, sounds like a more complete player than others may be in the minor leagues and could be a guy that we see in the future in the infield for the Brewers. Yeah, he's someone who comes from a background where I think I think his dad was is a broadcaster for the Blue Jays, someone who's been around the game a lot, and perhaps that lends itself to being a more complete player, someone who spent more time around the game than others, especially for someone being from uh, from Canada and not able to uh, to spend as much time practicing like we have in Wisconsin when uh, when you're younger. But he's someone that dominated at Wright State Horizon League, same same conference as UWM over here in Milwaukee, but Wright State actually had some good non-conference games. He showed that he could still hit against some SEC pitching, faced Tennessee, Vanderbilt, and was able to uh, to show that enough to scouts, enough for the Brewers to take him in the round between uh, first and second. I like him a lot. You said he sounds like a complete player. Uh, I would agree with that. Seems like someone who could be a solid player, doesn't have superstar upside, but someone that seems like he has a, a good shot at being an average to above average regular player. And perhaps the reason why he's only number four on the list is not quite as advanced as the other guys. Uh, so only being 21 and just out of college, played a little bit of a ball. Um, I, I think that he's someone that we could see in a, a few years down the road, but having a solid, uh, solid big league career. Yeah, absolutely. And at number five, a guy who is split time across two levels of a ball, Outfielder Joey Weimer, 23-year-old, drafted 121st in 2020. Keith Law sums up the way he plays, uh, that Weimer plays like his hair is on fire. With some effort to everything he does, and yet he makes it all work. Hit just under 300 last year at 27 home runs, like I said, across two levels of A-ball. Uh, certainly has some potential. Great arm in right field as well. Decent defender. Um, certainly see some upside in big Joey Weimer, 6'5", 215 pounds. Right fielder, um, likely we'll see some time in double A. We'll see how his offense translate. What are your thoughts on Weimer? Weimer is someone that coming out of the draft in 2020, I was not a big fan of him. He's got the tools, but he never really was able to put it together at the University of Cincinnati. Uh, he actually closed some at, at the Cincinnati, topping out at 98 miles an hour off the mound. He's not surprisingly got an excellent arm out in right field to go along with that. And he's got a kind of a complicated swing. He has toned it down a little bit over the last uh, the last year or so, and that certainly helped him out in, in being able to hit for the average that he did, 296. And with an on-base percentage over 400, uh, I think he was uh, in the top 10 of all the minor leagues of uh, in home runs. He had a very high on-base percentage in slugging, OPS combined, uh, compared to many of the other players at, that, at the levels he played at. And even though he is 23 already and finishing or, or finishing the year at advanced single A, 
he's someone that, again, probably won't be in the majors this year, but someone that is on the Brewers' radar in the near future and someone that has really surprised me. I, I was not really expecting much out of him, admittedly. Clearly, he surprised Keith Law, too. I know a lot of the other prospect evaluators as well, kind of thinking that, you know, when he when he actually puts it together, then we'll pay attention to him. And it looks like 2021 was the year that he was able to put it all together. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see if he can continue to do that. Number six, a lesser known player, only 19 years old, Jefferson Cuero, five foot ten, 165 pound catcher who has been limited in the games that he's been able to play, suffered with some injuries, but uh, currently a plus defender with some contact. Obviously, catchers, as we know, very valuable, especially for a guy with a solid defense um, and, and game calling with some offense like we've seen from uh, Narvaez and um, Yasmani Grandal, obviously, in his brief year with the Brewers. So a lot of value in the catcher, uh, not a lot to go off of, but number six, Jefferson Cuero. Any thoughts uh, from Cuero? He's someone that's high upside. You can see him being uh, a good everyday catcher, but he's a little bit lower on the list because he's young. He's only 19, only played a little bit in the minor leagues, not a lot of experience, had some injuries as well. So the risk is certainly high. It's difficult to bank on a 19-year-old with only 23 games under his belt at the professional level, uh, being a, an average to above average everyday regular. He's someone that maybe look for down the road, not someone who will uh, imminently make the Brewers better, but somebody that, that you need to have some of those guys in your organization to develop at the lower levels. And the Brewers have been successful at, at developing catchers, both at the minor league level and then more lately at the major league level also. Yeah, absolutely. Number seven, a very familiar name, Aaron Ashby, 24-year-old left-handed pitcher who we saw last year appear for the Brewers uh, around 30 innings. We, we know his first start um, as a Brewer and then, of course, his last appearance in the playoffs. Keith Law did point out, you take out those two appearances, he threw 24 and a third inning, striking out 33 with six walks and a 2.22 ERA, primarily out of the pen. Certainly, we saw some success from from uh, from Ashby, and he and Ethan Small, who we'll get to shortly, we will cover a little bit more in-depth as far as the roles that we see for them going into 2022. But certainly, Ashby's a guy we expect to be in the major leagues. And uh, just briefly, David, what are your expectations from the lefty this year? I think he's a... a, a a very good left-handed pitcher who will probably be more of a swing man this year. You kind of summed up what we saw out of him last year. Keith Law also incorrectly says that he's got a fastball without much life or movement, which if you've ever seen him pitch, know that that is far from the truth. But he and Small, you know, we're, we're going to talk about them next week. You kind of summed up what we saw out of Ashby. And so we'll, we'll, we'll save some of more of my uh, Ashby analysis for next week. But there were a couple – other guys I just wanted to touch on briefly a little bit further down on the list. Shortstop Freddie Zamora, second round pick out of the University of Miami in Florida in 2020. Very good defender at short and looks like he could make enough contact to be maybe an everyday player. Uh, could be maybe just a utility guy, but someone that certainly could carve out a nice career at the major league level and someone who went under the radar a little bit because he had some uh, some academic issues at the University of Miami. But fortunately, he does not have to uh, go through academic classes with the Brewers organization. Another guy that I, I like a lot is Felix Valerio, second baseman. He's only five foot seven. They actually acquired him in exchange for Keon Braxton in 2019. I feel like 
half the prospects we got uh, in the organization were somehow related to Keon Broxton trades uh, in one way or another. And in uh, getting Valerio, they got a guy who isn't someone that's got a lot of power, not surprisingly, just 5'7", 165. But he, he hit 51 extra base hits last year. And uh, that was at just the age of 20, uh, doubles and triples primarily. Uh, he's got decent speed. He's not a great second baseman, but he he should play second base admirably enough to maybe stick there, maybe play in center. Doesn't have a great arm, but he rarely strikes out. Uh, got a good enough walk rate that uh, the, uh, the, the contact skills really make him an interesting player and somebody that could be maybe a Nick Madrigal type player, somebody who who really doesn't maybe do a lot of damage at the major league level, even though he did a little bit so far this year in A-ball, but, uh, but somebody that really limits the strikeouts, puts the ball in play a lot, decent speed, good athlete, and could play possibly in up the middle position. Yeah, one guy I wanted to, to, to bring up uh, as kind of a, an interesting player, um, he's down on the list at number 18 as far as the Brewers prospects go, according to Keith Law. Russell Smith, 23-year-old, left uh, right-handed pitcher, six foot nine, drafted in 2021 by the Brewers. Uh, Law talked about how he, he likes to pitch backwards and has a bit of a deceptive, <clears throat> excuse me, a deceptive um, mechanics as a as a pitcher. Not necessarily a huge ceiling for him, uh, but uh, a guy who's got potential. You know, maybe we'll see him in a bullpen role down the road. Um, just 23 still, and like I said, drafted in 2021. But a player to keep in mind as we see how he continues to develop in the minor leagues. Any other players, David, that you wanted to highlight as the Brewers' uh, top prospects? Uh, one guy that he he didn't mention in the actual article, but Abner Uribe, someone he mentions after the article as someone who would be in consideration. Uh, he's topped out at 103 on the mound with a, a good slider, and he has no command, no no control. Uh, walks he, he he walked about 15 to 18 percent of the guys that he faced last year so that's the issue that he that he has he walked two guys per inning in the Arizona Fall League so if you are able to get him down to only about four and a half five walks per nine this is somebody that could be an electric arm at the back end of the bullpen but until then it, it's it's a little bit tantalizing to see the talent that he's got in his right arm but perhaps a lack of control could limit him. Uh, but he's at least an interesting guy. He's only, I think, 20, 21 years old and somebody who could be uh, could be a, a very good bullpen arm for the Brewers down the road. Yeah, Keith Law talked about how he has more command of the slider than his fastball, and he has no idea where the fastball is going. So certainly uh, an interesting player, someone to keep in mind, like you said. Uh, I mean, we talked about Garrett Mitchell having a higher ceiling, higher floor. Uh, this is certainly... Uh, fits that mold as well. Could be, like you said, an electric arm out of the pen. And unfortunately, more likely may not even make to the majors. But keep in mind the name, uh, a bit of a, an obscure name already, Abner Uribe as a potential guy. We could see several years down the road, maybe the next Josh Hader or Devin Williams. But uh, a good, good review of the Brewers prospects. Any final thoughts here before we wrap back to our trivia question? Uh, I'm excited to talk about Ashby and Small next week. Maybe we can touch on a couple of the, the other guys that could contribute next year, maybe guys that aren't at the top of the list and the top prospects, but guys that we could see in Brewers uniforms at some point on the field at American Family Field. He ranked the Brewers 26th overall of the 30 teams as far as their farm system, so still lagging behind. Actually, a, an improvement over each of the last couple of years where they've really been depleted 
in terms of their talent with them trading away a lot of it for big league talent. Of course, moves that had to be made. Think of the Christian Yelich trade uh, or or trading for Willie Adames and kind of thinning the uh, the depth of the farm system that they had. But they're they're gradually rebuilding it. And uh, that has been good to see. Uh, but speaking of growing homegrown players, talked about that in our trivia question. Among homegrown position players, who led the Brewers in war in 2021, excluding Lorenzo Cain, of course, um, as since he spent many of his years in Kansas City. Peter, you are pretty confident you have the answer to this one. Let's see if you're correct. Yeah, it was an interesting exercise to go through uh, position players, like you said, which is a bit ironic given the position players, homegrown, excuse me, the homegrown pitchers we have on the Brewers roster. You think about Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Josh Hader, Devin Williams, just to name a couple. But position players are just kind of racking my brain going, you know, you look at the catcher position, you've got Narvaez, Pena. Last year, mainly, we had Telez, Vogelbach, Wong, Urias, Adames. We had a little Travis Shaw sprinkled in there. I'm sure I'm missing a few players here or there. Um, none of those players, homegrown Brewers players. Jumped over the outfield, of course, Christian Yelich, acquired via trade. Lorenzo Cain, like you mentioned, um, primarily developing with the Royals. Avisael Garcia, and then our favorite fourth outfielder position, which is my answer to today's trivia question, which would be Tyrone Taylor. That is correct. He had 1.5 war last year in a part-time role with the Brewers, but that was enough to lead their uh, their homegrown position players in, in terms of wins above replacement. So he is a, the answer. 2012 second round pick. Hard to believe it's been 10 years that he's been in the organization already. Uh, kind of a long road for him to the majors, but he made it, and now he's got a role in uh, somebody that could play into the Brewers' plans both now and in the future as maybe a starter, fringe starter, uh, quality backup option. Yeah, I even forgot about Hauser as well on the on the pitcher side, another homegrown player. So a lot of homegrown pitching, which is obviously um, you know not something to be disappointed about, but not a lot on the position player side. You think about the traditional rebuilding, uh, you kind of put that in quotes whether that works or not, but uh, Brewers didn't necessarily do that on the offensive side like they may have done um, or have been successful in developing pitchers, whichever way you want to look at it. But anyways, to wrap things up, a fun episode today, breaking down, again, addition to the DH rule in the National League, some changes to draft picking, draft pick compensation around free agency, our random player of the day, Gerald Williams, and then again, taking a look at the Brewers' top prospects with Keith Law releasing his. Excited to see Turang, Freelick, Mitchell, some of those guys um, as, as early as next year, and uh, maybe some of those guys as, as late as five years from now, like you said, Tyrone Taylor, uh, 2012. Was it 2012 draft pick, you said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so really not making much of an impact uh, for maybe nine or ten years, and eight or nine years um, at the major league level. So as always, this is Peter and David Go signing off. Go Brewers. Thank you for listening to the Bleeding Blue and Yellow podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review our show on whichever platform you're listening on. If you enjoyed it, consider supporting us through the link down below. See you next time.